everyone. Greetings all. I am Ray Harkins, your host for 100 Words or Less, the podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you for hanging out. So I just got back from Riot Fest in Chicago like a few days ago. I'm still exhausted. Holy moly. It was a really good time. Granted, the first day was pretty terrible. Before I dive into this, we need to talk about our guest, right? The guest this week is Andrew Koji Shiraki. And I'm totally probably butchering his last name because as regular listeners of the show understand, I never ask their last name and I always butcher it. So I apologize, Koji. But anyways, he is a solo artist from the Pennsylvania area with a lot of releases under his belt, under a lot of different labels from Run For Cover, No Sleep Records, very prolific, and just a very good dude. More on him in a minute. Let's let's dive into some business. Let's do some talking, and then we'll talk to Koji. Propertyofzack.com. Visit them. The show's website, so 100wordspodcast.com. Two things I want you to do. Hop on the right side of the page. One thing is sign up for our email newsletter. I've been getting a lot of really positive and fun feedback from people who are enjoying what I'm putting out there. So basically, once a week, I will hit you up, tell you who the guest is this week on the show, talk about the sort of inside scoop on what happened previously on the show, last week's show, and I just kind of, you know, recommend stuff. So I was originally really focusing that on on the website as far as recommendations are concerned, but then I'm like, ah, no, I kind of felt felt differently. So anyways, go to the website to sign up for our mailing list. And then if you're feeling ever so generous, because th- this thing is free for you, if you find value in it, toss some shekels at our direction. So you can see a donate button, and I really would appreciate people paying attention to that. Basically, if this thing is valuable to you, I would love to see you, I mean, if it's a dollar, $2. It doesn't matter. I use that to offset the cost. I mean, honestly, it is not a ton of cost, but I am trying to make this show more and more legitimate in the sense of like, I just recently bought new recording equipment and you know, that was like about six, 700 bucks. Um, and you know, it takes me a certain amount of time to put this together. I also pay the producer and editor of this show. Shout out to Tom Richfield. So basically there's, there's costs involved. So anyways, just put it out there. Had to mention it. Yeah. Let's talk about Riot Fest. So Actually, no. What? Yeah, Riot Fest. Let's do that. Then we'll talk about Koji. So Riot Fest is really fun. For those of you that don't know what that is, uh, it was a three-day festival in Chicago. They're actually having one in Denver, I think, last weekend or this upcoming weekend, regardless. But it's uh, it's become a, f- a force of nature. And this year was the 10-year anniversary in Chicago. I went out there for work. Yeah, it was just really fun. I mean, there are so many people that go to this thing. I, I mean, attendance-wise, I would guess, I don't know, 50,000, 60,000 people. It's insane. To the point of where it was kind of a pain in the ass to get around, which, you know, that's what happens when you go to a festival. Like you you realize what you're getting into, at least I hope for those of you that have been to a festival before. The bands that I wanted to kind of like highlight as far as who just all these bands seem so obvious to mention that they were good. So I'm not going to like go, oh, man, there's this band that opened up the first day of the festival. That you just didn't see that that will be covered in many other publications. So Mineral Mineral is reuniting. They're doing a very extensive United States tour. They unfortunately got robbed recently, so that sucks, and that's terrible. So you should go to a show for not only supporting them, but then also on top of it, because it's amazing. It was one of those things, like, Mineral was an important band for me growing up, and I always enjoyed their records. It was definitely part of that first wave of me 
getting into music that wasn't screaming. So watching Mineral side stage was just like these songs. It's like, oh, wow. And I was talking to my friend, Mike, who was standing right beside me. And it's weird because, you know, you look at the lyrics of Mineral and they are so overdramatic. Like if a band wrote those lyrics now in 2014, you'd be like, dude, that band's, that band's terrible. But because it's Mineral and it was a time and a place and it's perfect. Like you don't feel any anything but sincerity oozing out of everything that they're doing. And they were so, so good. So I highly recommend you seeing them on this this US tour they're on currently. No Effects was incredible. I forgot how good that band was. Funny story, they were uh, slated to go on right after Failure. And so Failure is finishing playing on one of the other main stages. It's like basically right across the way from No Effects. So Fat Mike is just you kind of sitting there in, in the middle of the stage of no effects and just watching failure just go over their set time for maybe about five ten minutes so failure ends fat mike just hops right on the microphone and just starts tearing into failure in only a way that fat mike from no effects can do saying they're fucking terrible they're an awful band they've just bummed everybody out no effects is far better than they are uh it was just hilarious and then they played punk and drublick brought back so many feelings and memories of just listening to that record. Dude, that record's platinum. For those of, you that, those of you that don't know, a platinum record, you sell a million copies. Unbelievable. And it, it, I don't know, it's just, you forget certain bands exist for so long that you take them for granted. And no effects, I 100% took for granted until I saw them again and was like, oh man, they're so good. So anyways, go go check out no effects, regardless of what they're playing. Because realistically, most of their recorded output is awesome. And if it's not awesome, they'll tell you it's not awesome and they'll name their record Coaster, which they did. And then, uh, yeah, Descendants. Oh, I mean, Descendants can no, do no wrong in my mind. They're, they're, they're old, you know? They are definitely dudes that don't need to be getting on the stage and jumping around and playing their songs. But due to public demand, we want them there. And that is awesome. They played Milo Goes to College and it, they're just, to me, they're like the perfect band. They were my entry point into independent music, and again, watching them, it just it brought so many positive memories back. And so, anyways, a trip down memory lane for me. Also, saw a lot of good young and upcoming bands: Somos, Modern Baseball, Pianos Become the Teeth. A lot of previous guests of the show. Uh, so yeah, it was good times had by all. Dads, let's not forget dads. They were also incredible. So Koji, let's get to the, let's get to the meat of the matter, so to speak. Koji, I've been wanting on this podcast for a very long time, but we just hadn't connected. I emailed, he said, I'm on tour. We basically just kind of kept missing each other. And then finally, uh, our schedules coincided. We were able to hop on Skype and I think he was at a coffee shop or something, but I, I was stoked that he wanted to do it. And I was stoked he was so locked in. Like I could tell he was, he was in a public place, but we could have gone on for at least two hours. But needless to say, I, I try not to subject anybody to that, mostly because of me. I, I, I wouldn't want to hear myself talk for that long. So anyways, Koji, he uh, embodies a lot of a lot of the qualities that I define as very unique to independent music being an artist, punk, hardcore, whatever you want to call it, he is that dude. He's walking the walk, he's living it, and um, extremely intelligent. We went to a lot of different places. I could tell that he was just really excited about expressing this stuff. So here's my conversation with Koji, and I will talk to you afterwards.
it is you are and what you do musically. I, I think the the split you did with uh, Evan into it over it was the first I had really like dove into you musically. I was aware of your existence, but I just never paid too much attention to it until that split. And it was one of those things where your side was immediately engaging to me because I was like, this is interesting because it's obviously akin to what Evan is doing, but your own unique take on it. And then once I started to find out more about you, where it's just like, it's not just some, you know, sad white dude, which is usually what this right. what this music exists in. Is it is it one of those things that like, obviously, people that just listen to your music uh, assume one thing about you as far as like just being, hey, yeah, this is just kind of a, another white kid from the suburbs talking about stuff. Yeah, definitely people think um, that Koji is a band first, that I'm a sad white person and that the songs are about girls which is uh none of those things are true and then when they find out a little bit more like maybe they see a picture they'll think that i'm from hawaii which my parents are but i'm not right and um a lot of people think that i'm vegan a lot of people think that i'm straight edge a lot of people think that i'm christian a lot of people think that i'm buddhist a lot of people think that i'm atheist and a lot of people like there's like i've heard so many things about myself then told to myself Uh uh it's it's just a reminder that people project what they want and um and any any sort of engagement to me is good uh if i can have a like a a good positive attitude about it <laughs> you know? yeah you're like if someone's not bringing so much baggage to the table that i can at least have a conversation about their preconceived notions on me then we're good yeah well it's it's really interesting and i i mean that's my singular goal in doing this is just to cause people to be curious and ask questions about their own life or like the world at large that that's the most important thing so I think coming to the table as um, someone who's not your average like teenage or early 20s white kid Mm -hmm. doing this style of music is like it's of course interesting to me because it's interesting enough that I would pursue it and want to create, but it's also interesting to see people engage with it because I don't know. With respect to like press lately, I've seen a lot of people talking about Dan Ozzy was writing that wrote that article about punks on pedestals, mm-hmm. and then people responding or not responding to uh, to current events in Ferguson or in Gaza, mm-hmm. and and so like I got into punk because it was the the urgency of it, but also the call to action was the most engaging thing to me. The social awareness and community aspect. Growing up in central Pennsylvania was something that I longed for because there were no Japanese Filipinos where I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have Asian peers that wanted to hang out with me. Like all the, all the kids that were like fresh off the boat right. from like Vietnam or Korea or something like that, they did not want to hang out with me when I was in school. So I felt extremely isolated I grew up in like an extremely polarized area where the the east shore is called the black shore, the west shore is called the white shore. Okay. And I, I always used to ask, where does that leave the yellow kid? Like I felt like I had no home. Right. And so like I feel eternally blessed that I caught the tail end of that part of punk where my space hadn't hit yet. Like there were message boards and live journal and stuff, but you still had to go to a place. Uh, or dress a certain type of way to express that you're different. We didn't have the internet to just solely do that. Mm-hmm. So I feel like more and more like punks and normal people look all the same and that there's not really authentic subculture. But I love that I could find that as like 11, 12-year-old growing up in central PA and found a space where I was allowed 
to be a minority that that was celebrated and that in some instances my freedom to be that was protected by other members of the community. We had a huge white power, a huge white power sort of uh, contingency. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So I grew up like all the very first shows that I went to had Nazi punks at them. And like, of course, I'm a target being a person of color. Right, right. And that and I don't think punks kids today, like not to get all old head on everybody, but like, I don't know if they know what that's like to go to a show and like be afraid that a hardcore crew is here and they have guns and knives and shit or that there's Nazis there and they have guns and knives and shit. I'm not even sure people know what that's like. Yeah. Like they know the social fear of like you know, general bully dynamics and things like that. But to actually be like bodily harm could occur to me right. tonight. Why, why was it that you think that, uh, you know, the the Asian kids that were in your community, you know, shunned you? Was it one of those things because you... Racism. Uh, just straight up. You just didn't... You didn't Straight fit, up racism. You didn't fit their um, mold? No, because, I mean, I, I grew up knowing that where I was growing up in Harrisburg was the most racist. <laughs> we're starting off on such a dark note. We're... Um, where I grew up was one of the most racist parts of the country that um, Pennsylvania and central Pennsylvania specifically had the highest concentration of organized hate groups. That was like a fact that I learned that I was told by my parents to help protect me. And I think all people of color get a talk from their parents um, when they're growing up just about how to take care of themselves because we face different issues than white people and we aren't afforded all of the same rights and securities as white people do. Mm-hmm. So when, when I was listening to Refused or Clash or Propagandi talk about class struggle and about racism and discrimination, that to me was more interesting immediately than um, people talking about, I don't know, getting stabbed in the back by their best friend or their girlfriend broke up with them. Right, right. So I think that, that the more pulled back worldview in my music kind of speaks to my initial interest in, into more political punk and hardcore. Especially from the area, you know, you primarily spent most of your time like in Harrisburg, right? As far as like mm-hmm. sort of born and raised stuff. Yeah, definitely. I was born and raised in Harrisburg. And so knowing that community in regards to, you know, it, obviously it was a very large industrial town, you know, that right. the, the industries left that town and the, the city had to obviously figure out what to do with all of that. So I could see where your surroundings would immediately, you know, either inform you or make you open to the idea of trying to find that sense of community because community was leaving that that city right and there's something really resonant about um about you know i i was getting into shows like uh i guess like maybe like 99 2000 okay and um and there was something about that time where even though we're in the prosperity of like the clinton era um there was this resonance of like 77 punk to through contemporary stuff Mm -hmm. that like was everything so like i could find out about bands whether it's like no effects or Lagwagon or rancid and stuff like that through skate videos and a lot of those songs are really fun and then kind of trace back their roots and hear what like working class bands were singing about in england and whatnot and and all of it made sense because i was at once experiencing experiencing suburban life having moved out like as a teenager moving out to the suburbs, kind of escaping um, what was a pretty violent and dangerous midtown Harrisburg. Mm-hmm. Um, and and kind of surrounded by uh, the collapse of industry, like all the cotton mills, the steel mills, the coal mills, everything was closing when I was a kid. 
And so it was like the, the tail end of that. So I think, I think there was a lot about punk music that represented that moment of time. And that's what's vital about the art form is that it does that for every generation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I remember pretty much every corner of, of punk music really resonating with me. So it's like if I needed an answer, I had a question about a life issue, there was a record I could turn to. Yeah. Which I don't know if there's that diversity now, but back, back then, I, I mean, I, I've always been a curious kid uh, with quest for knowledge and learning mm. has been, has been a, a deep and long journey because I'm so screwed up about how the world works. I have to, have to figure it out. Yeah. No, that's interesting. I, li- I like the way that, that you framed it in regards to you, you can find value out of, of most you know, art and, and music that's being created from that perspective, even though it doesn't, every band isn't going to tick every uh, you know, checkbox as far as like, oh, this band is like the perfect band. They're you know, political, they're fun or whatever. Like, there are very few bands that fall into that category, but you can find worth in a band like you were talking about, you know, even though they are, you know, speaking about cliche things, there's there's value in that as well because it, you know, it, it may be fun. It may provide entertainment and that is valuable just as much as a political band is obviously valuable to you as well. For sure. And I mean, like for as much as some of the stuff that I'll talk about on stage or in interviews can be heavy, um, you can't be an activist. You can't. You can't be a human if you don't have a sense of humor. So, all of all of the heavy stuff needs to come. Like, I mean, you need um, along with you know, like on a, on a dime, I can be listening to Pete Seeger, Woody Guthrie, or something like that, mm-hmm. or I can be listening to anything, and then turn around and listen to some horror rap or coke rap. I love Big L and Clips. I love turning, and some of that's entertainment as much as it is also political. But you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. you need you need the spectrum, otherwise you don't get the fullness yeah. of of this life and this experience. No, totally. And plus, it also doesn't inform the art that you personally create as well. It's like if you neglect one side of the music of music in general, and you're not even aware of it, you're closing yourself off to that experience. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, the older I get, the more I, I vibe with all music and all expression. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm chill. My attitude towards everything is, has really chilled out. And I think that's made everything more enjoyable. Like, I, I think when I was like a teenager, so much discussion over genres right. and what genres bands were. It was like, it's like subgenre war right. time. Right, right. Where that dominated conversations at shows on message boards, like between friends and stuff. And I'm just like, who cares? Like you get the same stuff out of most music. Like you have to approach different things with a different lens, you know, but the form itself is so human. Why would we limit it to a, a label, you know? Yeah. So, I, I think that always like made me uh, that that kind of augmented my you know my own the discrimination that I faced I felt like people people get from liking anything you know mm-hmm. but I also think that's part of the fun of it is like talking shit on people for liking stuff like right how is that not not fun when you're 15 years old right you know? well of course because that 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 is your universe you don't have you don't have anything that yeah that's everything right that's everything. <laughs> you know, from, from Harrisburg, like how did you even get, um, you know, plugged into sort of independent music in general? Was it solely like you were saying, like, you know, skate videos and that sort of subculture, or was it just through other people that you kind of observe from a distance? Yeah. Well, I think it was the radio, like listening to like top 40 Mm -hmm. and then, and then realizing, um, realizing Green Day was like different sounding than everything else that was on the on the radio. Mm -hmm. And I think that was Green Day was my intro punk band. So I think from them, 
getting into like whether it was like the Clash or Replacements or Ramones or Husker Du, which I I couldn't tell the difference between those bands yeah. when I was at that age. Um, I just knew that that sounded all wildly different than what was on the radio. Right. And so um, I guess when my family got like cable and you could watch the box and MTV mm-hmm. and then noticing like lifestyle wise, like what I, what I was sort of gravitating to wasn't the, what to me represented like cookie cutter. Um, like I just, I just read an article about how, Abercrombie and Fitch is dropping their all logo branding in the United States because yep. their business is doing that bad. Right. But like you know, in the late nineties and early aughts, like that, kids used to have to really dress themselves different. So I would wear, you know, like my Descendants T-shirt all all of high school mm-hmm. while everyone was wearing Abercrombie and Fitch stuff, and like that's how I expressed because I couldn't wear crazier stuff. Like my parents were pretty conservative. They're like, listen to whatever you want, read whatever you want. So I was definitely flagged by all the librarians, like even at when I was in seventh grade, mm-hmm. checking out all the books on like communism, right. socialism, <laughs> yeah, um, anarchy, and yeah, and they were like, "What is wrong with this kid in junior high?" Mm-hmm. You know, and that followed me throughout. I was always the kid getting detention or suspended because I was fighting a bully over over something racist, mm-hmm. and then and then getting like volunteer of the the year or student of the month type award for volunteer service because like i was reading about things like food not bombs or uh anti-racist action or like what people uh, were doing around like the discord movement Uh or with riot girl and and so like me and my friends all we wanted to do is recreate that because we thought it was happening in every town across america right with like it's our age we that's what we thought was happening in america because we didn't have the internet to look up and find out that it wasn't right so we were reading all these um all these zines and, and websites and books and stuff and, and learning about the culture and just trying to recreate it. So we ran community dinners and held um, at every show, like had food drives. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you didn't have money, you could bring canned food. And then we would, we would store all this food in like this uh, little warehouse and do like food pantry oh. for like the neighborhood that we, we held the shows in. Sure. And that was super rad, along with you know just doing shows and art shows and like slam poetry and things like that, creating zines like it was it was like a extremely creative time where we, we weren't talking about apps and we weren't photographing anything like if we if I wanted to, I couldn't find really any documentation of this stuff except for CDRs and a couple photo prints right but really, like all of this exists in this really temporary space, which I think is like the archival completest of of the digital age just fuels the elitist uh, f- like fire even more mm-hmm. where people take themselves out of the moment so via Instagram and Vine and Twitter and things like that people are removing themselves from these like really pure shared experiences and just and just checking out and I think like that's the major difference I I look at from now uh, to when I started going to shows. Mm-hmm. So like at, at all of my shows from now on, I'm going to request no cell phones because like, I just want people to be together. That's the whole fucking point. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, there, there definitely is that, that sort of, you know, charming element to when you do discover, you know, I mean, I remember when it's like when I tripped on the whole, you know, the crime thing and like the, you know, the, yeah. the Atlanta, you know, dumpster diving scene. And it was like, it was something that was so far removed from me because I couldn't like 
there was, you know, no one in your vicinity that was even like into that, but it was like such an appealing culture. And so to be able to even create it for a small period of time is exciting. Like I could easily see why you guys were just like hit, you know, firing on all cylinders because it's so, um, it's so activating. Yeah. Like if you tap into it. And I think that my generation of like high school kids that I grew up with, were exceptional. Everyone went on to go to art school, is working in the film industry, is like a printer or like um, some sort of creative writer, a journalist, whatever. Like everyone kind of found work in their field that, and you could, you could see that it all was seeded and started in what we were doing together in high school. Like we were reading each other's novels and right. poetry and passing around demos and stuff like that. That's how we communicated and said to the people wearing Abercrombie and Fitch that we're fucking different, you know? Right. We're, we, we, were, we were making a stand because we we're making weird shit yeah. over here. Well, you had to do things. You didn't have to just reblog and aggregate fucking cool shit. You had to do the cool shit to say that this is what you are, you know? Yeah. No, no, for sure. I mean, there's... <laughs> <laughs> that that that's the one thing that I like my wife is a high school English teacher and the one thing that I've always noticed and this can be said about you know probably the high school you went to and the high school I went to where it was like you felt like there the the notion of starting something in like while you're in school is so foreign to a lot of people it's not instinctual they're not like you know right they don't have the idea to be like oh I, I just can't wait to graduate because then I'll be able to start life and it's like Dude, you could do no. You start right. now. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you could start this. You start now, right? Just, just do that. I'm, I'm 27, and I booked my first show when I was 12 years old. That's I rented out a fire hall. I just passed it yesterday, visiting my grandparents. I, I booked the Paxtonia fire hall uh, in December 2000 or some shit. I forget. Yeah, yeah. But I was 12 years old when I booked my first show, and I just didn't stop. Right. It's 15 years of booking and playing shows. Right. And I was, I was as a 12-year-old at playing music and booking shows, but I was doing it because I felt like you had to. I felt like if you weren't contributing, you, you're just not a part of it, which I think was probably a really extreme view. Like, you can just be a fan, and it's, and it's, it's dope. I love that. I love that people can just listen to music and enjoy it, but I feel like I was such a psychotic fan that I had to go out and do it. Right. <laughs> no, that's really yeah. It's interesting where you 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 do take these extreme views, obviously, when you're younger. Where it's like I'm either I'm either with it or I'm not, and <laughs> there's no there's no middle ground. Like it defines you. Yeah. Like if you waste a single day not doing something, it defines you. And like I couldn't. I remember hearing um, I forget what song it is, but on that Pieball record, the one where it's like, "If you're bored, then you must be boring too." Oh yeah. yeah. And I really I really felt like Travis was speaking to me sure i thought he was speaking to me i was like oh my god i can never be bored again i haven't said bored since i've heard that record right. <laughs> i've not described the state that i was in as being bored since that record right 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 yeah it's it, the, those little moments just just completely you know carve their way into your heart and it's like well never gonna be bored again <laughs> Yeah. No, never again. And I'm like, okay, well, I, I didn't have a lot of people to turn to, but there were like guys like Mike Park and my cousin Jack was in a band called One Man Army and another band called Dead to Me. Oh yeah. And I used to go like see them on like on Warped or on tour and stuff like that. I was like, you know, there's like Asian dudes out here doing this. Like I could I could do it too. Yeah. I could be a part I could be a part of this. 
Uh, I was like, because a lot of people tell you in central PA that you, you can't do things. And I think anyone listening to this that ever grew up in a small town or a big one, there's like a serious crab mentality that, that people are with you when you're aspirational. And then when you start doing a thing, they want to tear you down because they don't want to be left behind, mm-hmm. you know? Sure. And I think I had to find that personal courage to say no to the bullies, to say no to my teachers. Every year I had at least one teacher tell me, um, you're distracted by the music you're doing. It's a waste of time. And it's never going to turn into anything. And that's like that's crazy. To, that's that is heavy to hear when when you're a kid. Mm-hmm. So like I, I I think I made um, a nonverbal kind of vow. Or I had a sense of understanding that if I were going to pursue the arts, I would spend the you know my lifetime in the arts, encouraging people to create mm-hmm. and and encouraging them to to live out what what's in them. You know, like we're, we're not allowed to access the better parts of ourselves because society says no. So I think that's like, you know, when I say I want to engage people, maybe if I'm being really specific, that's the way right. that I want to engage them is, is to say like, yes, you can create. Yes. Yes, you can be human and you have a right to, to live out the fullness of this, this human experience. In this data-driven society, we, don't, we get that less and less and less and less. So... I don't vibe with all this, and it's not that I'm against science, but I don't think there's a there's intangibles to human life that data will never will never be able to sufficiently express. Sure, yeah, it, it there are certain things that are completely unmeasurable, whether you define it as faith or whether you define it as a feeling. Like those are those yeah. are, those are impossible to quantify. I'd like to hit on something else in regards to because you know as you started to you know matriculate through high school and then you know you went to uh, Tyler School of Art. Because um, during during that time, you know, you played in that 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 band that you've mentioned before, El Toro, that was on mm-hmm. Undecided, um, which is was notoriously a terrible label, just from the the business practices, not so much the people involved. Um, even though right. even though one could extrapolate <laughs> or could make the connection between the two, um, yeah. was that was that kind of the uh, the first experience that you had in regards to obviously the business side going terribly wrong, and then having to kind of leave your faith in in music like you know how how was that all in your head when you you were faced with something that was so you know daunting like a lawsuit to get your record back or whatever yeah that that was that was wild i had joined the band we had written a record we were waiting to record the record i know that like at the time this is so long ago but the the mentors of that band were like were me without you and um and jesse from brand new they were like the 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 older band guys that were sort of helping us out. And by sort of, I mean like kind of a lot. Like Me Without You gave us the A to B life bus. And we, were, we had a record written. We had a record out already, but I wasn't on it. And we were waiting to go. You know, like we were doing little tours and weekends and stuff. And then <laughs> I guess because of some drama between Undecided and the parent label, they destroyed all of the records that we had. There's a, a person who will go unnamed that loves to confuse business uh, his like business associates. So he has a track record of doing things like destroying like a label's catalog just because I left art school, which I thought was kind of a scam. I was like, oh, you want me to go into like tens of thousands of dollars of debt? You're not going to tell me how to be a real artist. And and then. <laughs> The, this first experience with the record industry, having them destroy all of my records and say, no, you can't create music as as your band anymore. And I, I was just, well, fuck that. So I just went to being a, like a local musician 
and decided that I would be self-released. And if I couldn't do it the right way, I wouldn't do it at all. So like fast forward years later, four or five years later, when Run For Cover hit me up, I was like, nah, I'm good. I don't. I don't yeah. do record labels. And, and when Evan and I were like, yeah, let's do a split. And he's like, we can have no sleep, put it out. And I was like, I don't know, man. Like, I, I, yeah, you had the- I don't know if I like record labels. Totally. I had this distrust not, not realizing that like the industry had turned over and a bunch of idealists had started putting out records. Yeah. Didn't know that. You, well, I couldn't see it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's hard too, especially because when you're younger – and you do have this 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 notion, or you have this not notion, but you have this direct experience of being, you know, screwed over and like your plans diverted. Uh, you have no choice but to rely on that as your guiding principle, as opposed to like I mean, I totally remember like when you know the band that I played in started to get some traction and managers started to speak to me. My in my instinct probably like the instinct that you have at, or had you know or had at the time where it's like dude manager what the fuck are you talking why would but now <laughs> that's such a yeah. antique notion people have managers all the time and it's fine well i remember telling i was on tour with jeff rickley uh this spring and i remember telling him that i printed the mer- the merch for the lot of um, their first club tour, which was first, they were opening a tour with Thursday, Fall of Troy, and Young Widows. And and I remember them like showing up to the show, and they had never played a stage before. Right. And they're like, we don't, we don't know if that's selling out. Like, if we play on the stage, and like, not to air them out, but this is the discussion that that we were all having because we were just playing houses. I go around the the like when I tour anywhere in the world, I won't ever. I want to explain to them that we used to play to no one together and that's how we became friends and then all of a sudden people started playing clubs and stuff so there's like some people that never saw like those early days where where it was really difficult it took you know a couple of years for somewhere to catch on yeah and in that time they're playing they're playing basement shows right and hall shows and so it's crazy to be like would would people look at lot of spew as the big band and i still see the I, I still see them and I see us and our whole generation as as like basement show dudes. Yeah. And 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 we were concerned about playing a show because it might alienate people right. or playing shows on the stage right. because it would alienate people. Totally. What? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it definitely yeah, it's it, it's so quaint to think about it like that, but the, like, you know, like we were talking about, it's like those are the realities that you're dealing with because that is your, you know, your immediate touchable universe and that's what you're used to. So it's like, but yeah, I mean, when you have a perspective, you're like, oh, that was that was silly. We never should have been concerned with that. But no, we should have. Of course, yeah. of course we should have. Well, it, you know, it definitely was important because I think there were... It, there is this it's not good to hold on to anger but it's it's or or to fear negativity um but it is constructive to work it out and if you can do that in a as compassionate and empathetic and patient way as possible um not to say that we did we did that or i've done that mm-hmm. but um i know that it was an important exercise to be skeptical uh because we we didn't have the transparency uh, within the music industry or and the scale of it was so large that people were really getting taken advantage of. You have an older generation of of bands cautioning my my generation of of bands and um and so we weren't wrong to kind of tread carefully, but you know a lot of people, whether that was like Jeff Rickley or you know the the dudes in like well in any band 
really helped chill us out because you realize, oh, Jeff put on at the drive-in and hot water music in his house and ink and dagger, which is significant because I'm from PA. Um, right, right. And so many other like really rad bands in in his house. They're the same. They they were worried about moving off the floor onto the stage, you know. And it happened really quick for Thursday. It happened really quick for a lot of those uh, bands of that generation. Mm-hmm. So I, I think now I'm like, wow, there's kids right now playing bass with shows that probably like hate bands that uh, that are popular right now, not realizing they did the same shit. Yeah, they had to suffer through basement shows and floor shows of all kinds well, to get where they're at. Totally. Well, I, I think you hit on such an important point of. Uh, of of whatever you can talk independent culture culture in general culture at large of once you're provided context it makes it easier for you to obviously understand like you're talking about once you were able to you know speak more in depth with jeff and he can place things in context for you it's like oh i see so it's like yeah that (laughs) it just makes all the more sense when you're like oh okay we can we are cut from the same cloth we're just different generations of that cloth yeah, there's a complete interconnectedness about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So if we can ignore aesthetics, if we can ignore some of the social aspects, if we can just look at the act of creating and of participating, no matter how it was dressed up when you were doing it or when you were connecting with it and finding it, I mean, that it's extremely powerful to find the arts, to find music, to find visual art, to find whatever medium speaks to you. That is a powerful moment in every person's life. And I think anyone that's connected and passionate about the arts, whatever that looks like, that's that's significant. That's that's a an, a big yes. That there's an active choice we need to make when we're when we're looking at things like the, like the arts, and it's it's to be dismissive or to to look further into it, and in doing so, further into ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's that, that's like that's the magic, and it stretches far back beyond the the term punk or the term folk people have been getting together and expressing themselves for ages and it and it's it's part of um the stuff that gets us through every generation yep. so to be be a part of it right now in this moment of time it's not about being remembered or doing it right it's just about um having lived at this moment mm-hmm. and and i think that like i don't know if it's harder for people to get there now because of of um technology but i think like i'm i'm disturbed that you can see the complacency and you can see that there isn't this urgency to move to action because while i'm definitely i'm definitely not the hormonal 13 year old finding punk rock now mm-hmm. i still have a complete sense of urgency um when i'm approaching making work it's definitely not as neurotic and freaked out but i urgently know that it's it's a it's a genuine need, um, it's it's part and parcel to like my makeup. So I have to do this, and and I think um, people shouldn't be afraid of that impulse to have to be a part of uh, the arts community. Mm-hmm. Everyone should say yes to that. In preparing to speak to you, in almost every single print interview I've I've seen with you, it's always like, oh, you know, Andrew Koji. Uh, activist slash musician to to me every time I read that you know there's always this instinctual um, feeling that I have in my my gut anytime someone um, gets put in in that corner like honestly when when people hear activist they immediately are just like oh great another dude with another fucking cause like I get it um, 
And I, I think that limits the exposure that you personally could have. I mean, that's not to say that you are placing these labels on yourself. You have obviously just your track record shows that. Um, yeah. So it's like, do you know? Do you get the the reaction from people being like, yeah, okay, cool. You're you're a guy with a cause and a guitar. Like, or is it one of those things that because of the community that you're obviously appealing to, there's less direct feedback from that? I definitely think there's a lot of people that don't want to hear what I have to say. Mm-hmm. My response to that is to definitely question what that resistance is, um, because it's a natural act to participate to engage, like. I think a lot of the anxiety from from Western life comes from not uh, an unwillingness to confront uh, some of the more difficult things. Switching back and thinking, kind of, like, I'm absolutely American. I love I, I love it when people say that I'm a, an American artist too, because I want people to know that an American artist can look like me. Right. You know, like I, I want people to know that no matter how you're made, you're you, you count. Yeah, and um, that's that more than any specific social justice cause is important to me. But I, I look at this is how I compute the and and cope with the injustice of of the world. I think most of the injustice is unnecessary, if not all of it. So I I'm trying to reconcile that. I I can't turn away because people haven't let me. You know, I, when it comes to my music or people responding to the activist bit, like people respond to the racial part by telling me I'm their favorite Asian singer-songwriter or musician. Mm-hmm. And being told that by a white person is fine. I recognize that that's their education and they're, they're not necessarily sensitive to why I might react negatively towards that. But like, can I just rate on a human scale with everybody else? Why am I always taken out of, um, taken out of the game? I, I, Taken out of uh, out of the picture of of the whole, you know, like I feel like I'm just trying to live in harmony with with everybody else out here existing and trying to make it easier for people that feel oppressed um, to acknowledge that oppression and to deal with it in a productive way. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> it's it's fucked up um, that you know what this is. I don't really want to talk about how people react. Because I, that's that's really far outside of myself. Like, sure, well, I'm responding to them reacting. My reaction to the music industry and music community being so averse to, um, like, yeah, sure, Posse Punk is dead, but I'm not hearing anything from anyone. Like, propaganda and anti-flag say shit about Gaza. Where's the rest of like the arts community on on the injustice happening in Gaza? Where's the rest of them in Ferguson? And not speaking from like a like people don't want to come off as like the white savior or using their audience for some political shit. But what else are we making music for? Right. Like if it's just to entertain, that's cool. But I'm out here to be really loud to connect with people that want to make a difference. Because over getting famous and selling records, like I'm out here to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And that that sounds fucking crazy. And people should be right <laughs> to be skeptical of me. You should question me, and you should question yourself, and you should question the things around you. Because like I. I know for damn sure that a lot of the fucked upness about America comes from all these compounding forces that are the natural result of having a centralized society like this. So the fact that we have so many people densely populating the same area, we're going to have some crazy stuff going going on. And we need to be students of history of current events if we're going to write that. 
people might not feel like it's their responsibility, but I think the most ugly part of the American attitude today is that Tea Party, individualistic, Ayn Rand sort of, I have, I deserve more of, and what you have, you didn't earn. Mm -hmm. That attitude is toxic to me. I'm about the greater whole. Like I said, I'm trying to live in harmony. So through music and through activism and just through action, period, I'm just trying to do my best. And I think that's that's a hard sell if you're a booking agent or a manager or a record label. Right. You don't want to fucking deal with that. And and how can I find the strength to do that? My my dad, when I was listening to um to stuff like propaganda to refused and to like I really love the political shit. Um mm-hmm. he came into my bedroom one day and handed me a Pete Seeger record. And I, I knew Pete Seeger because I, I grew up listening to Hawaiian and American folk and surf rock and Motown. And Pete Seeger was one of the names that I remembered. He handed me the CDs like, I know you're listening to all this political stuff right now. I like they had just like bought me like a a stack of Chomsky and Zinn books. Nice. And he was like, he's like, here, m- maybe you might find something in um in this guy's stuff that resonates with you. And I remember listening to that and um and and definitely like weeping at at one point listening to the voices because of all the hurt that I felt in the world. There was um, a really healing sound listening to someone talk about peace and justice and getting people to sing together, mm-hmm. you know. And that was that was just as profound as finding punk rock is like returning to um, American folk and the powerful medium that that is. And I don't know if that can exist in the same form today. In fact, I don't think it can exist in that form, but I'm definitely reaching towards whatever that that was then. And I, I want to be a part of the people who carry the torch for this generation, you know? Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, that's such a powerful moment that you describe because it is, you know, while, while you know, the, the notion of your parents not understanding the stuff that you're getting into from a, you know, just like a musical standpoint and just like, okay, I, right. I don't get this at all, but the the support of just reaching out to be like okay this is a cultural touchstone for me like check this out like that is extremely powerful because like so yeah. you know so obviously a lot of parents would look at what you're getting into and react the complete opposite way and be like oh like oh, andrew like dude you got to like chill out dude here's here's some like more you know vanilla based music like we got to we got to calm you down cuz you're already you're trying to become a minority of a minority of a minority. <laughs> yeah. How how much more of a victim can you make yourself? You know? <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, you're 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 on the outside on so many different parts. But well, that's cool that that yeah, your parents came down yeah. came down to obviously like show you what it was that influenced them. And during the during the McCarthy era, Pete Seeger was blacklisted. The music industry wouldn't put out his records. The music industry wouldn't put on his shows. So he he did the DIY basement thing and played like halls would show up to radio stations, find a place to play that night, announce the show um, real sly like, and then uh, play to whoever would come. So like for me, like that that has always been my sort of attitude and the touchstone when I need courage to to go and present ideas and in the face of extreme resistance, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah, it's encouraging for you. People ought to have a problem with authority. I think that's a really healthy thing for kids. Oh, yeah. And, and I wish, I, I, I really want to connect with the young people that are that have an authority problem, because right. I still do. You know, like, I still have a problem with institutions. I think we have so much work to do 
in America, and I'm going to live as long as possible and live as loudly as possible uh, to make sure that I did as much as I could in the short time that I have here to make the world a little better, you know? And that's like so naive, and I think we ought to be more naive. Yeah. We ought to take more risks, and we ought to have a fucking problem with how things are right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, it, it's, it, it comes through in the way that you talk, and obviously the way you deliver not only your music, but, but your, the passion that just kind of bleeds, bleeds not only onto tape, but obviously just in speaking with you. And in, in knowing, you know, in, in knowing obviously your music and knowing you a little bit casually over the years, you've always struck me as a very, um, you know, you're a sensitive dude and like not a sensitive like, oh, I'm going to, you know, whatever, sit in my bedroom and write a song about it, but a sensitive as far as like, you know, speaking about, you know, crying over, over Pete Seeger, like, has that always been kind of, you know, in you? Have you always been the, the sort of stereotypical, you know, sensitive art kid from that perspective? I need to air myself out about Pete Seeger, but it's like, that's like one of the only times I can really remember crying. I feel like I have the, mm-hmm. the typical leadership gene where I will defer um, how I feel because I have a show to book or, you know, like a, you like there's some sort of volunteer project or something like that. Like, okay. I, I want to be really solid and together, but I think I only have a capacity for that because I am definitely sensitive and in tune with other people's suffering. Like I really strive to be empathetic and compassionate. Interesting. So yeah, I get, I guess so, but it realizes itself, um, in different, really quiet ways, I think. That, um, yeah, no, I, 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 that's very interesting. You put it that way because I, I do think that there is that when you do start to feel, you know, like you are responsible for, you know, feeling like you are t- a together person in order to be like, Hey, you know, you're inspirational in some capacity. Not to say that that, you know, you're looking to engage as opposed to be, you know, inspirational. Yeah, I, I just want a dialogue. I, yeah, you know, but there's no time. There's no time for you in the presentation of yourself to really, uh, you know, dwell in your emotions and to be, I guess, publicly, um, publicly distraught. If that were, uh, you know, like for, on an emotional level, like obviously on a pol- yeah. on a political level, you're completely engaged on that. But you're like. Yeah, dude. There's not enough time to cry about it. There's more time. There's that gives me less time to be, you know, actionable. <laughs> For sure. Well, like I, I look at, um, I look at my work kind of since since having uh, begun re- releasing songs, um, and I, and I definitely see that I I didn't write any love songs, even though people might think that a lot of my songs are about girls. Mm-hmm. It's mostly about personal courage and and arriving at a. A, a better place and it's it's certainly existential and layered and and open enough for people to make their own meetings out of it but i'm looking at um the songs i've been writing lately and that deals a lot more with the interpersonal stuff and i'm finding that engaging with those questions in my in my music has definitely led me to realize some things about you know, I, I'm, I'm realizing now that the existential and societal stuff uh, speaks just as much um, truth to me as as the person-to-person stuff, and that the two are extremely related. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think uh, I think this has been an interesting time creatively, uh, how my voice has matured, you know, lyrically, and and. I, I don't know. I want to. I want to revisit this question, like yeah, a year from now, because this is one of the most interesting creative points. Because I find myself digging deeper into the interpersonal stuff, and I have written basically 
two records worth of breakup songs. Right. Well, no, it's I mean, yeah, it sounds like you're you're at that definitive point of like a, you know, whatever, pardon the cliche, but like, you know, turning a page, like you're in the new chapter where it's like you are looking inside of yourself for that that direct dialogue that you have, you know, I mean, honestly, like neglected because you felt that there are greater things to speak about. But now you realize the right. but now you realize the connection to between the two, and that's that's super interesting to hear that you know kind of manifesting itself. Yeah, I'm I'm learning a lot just by having to sing. I, it's really it's really wild. My my writing style comes from improvisation, and I usually just start playing and singing, mm-hmm. and what comes out is what is what makes the record. And I've been looking and and really thinking that this is this is a very interesting time. Yeah. Do you, you know, with, with kind of what we were talking about earlier in regards to, um, you know, obviously social media and while you do engage in it, um, you know, I do, I do think there's elements of you, um, you, you probably are very deliberate in what you obviously put out there, um, in regards to, you know, uh, being a private person. Like you strike me as having a public persona, but then obviously trying to keep things, private as well in order to not feel like it's like this you know hey here's the here's the koji show 24 7 you know um is that something you've you've kind of uh, whether it's a struggle or whether it's a deliberate thought process that you've had to kind of filter through i i think it comes down to one thing and that's i i want i want people to to meet me um in person as a person so like the most disturbing thing to ever happen to me was with regularity, people would come up and grab my goatee at Warp Tour when I was playing. <laughs> and then they would say something to the effect of, I've always wanted to do that. And then I'm thinking to myself, you've always, like, this is a premeditated goatee grab. Like, wh- <laughs> what? Right. Like, and I was like, I wish the thing you always wanted to do is have a conversation because I want to know, you know, what what band they're in. I want to know what social issues are important to them, how their day was, where the good food is, where they come from, what what their community is like, just anything, what they're going to school for. I I, I want to know that. Right. Like touring is how I learn about the world. I'm a, a lifelong learner and I, touring has been the best school for me. So I think that when I uh, put things on the internet, I'm still refining my voice because that's not the thing that comes naturally to me. Right. The thing that comes naturally to me is is um, being out on the floor with everybody else. So, like, I, I definitely don't take advantage of my green room. I don't take advantage of. I prefer shows that don't have one that force us all to look at each other with the house lights on. Mm-hmm. Like straight up, if there is no. I could have shortened this whole conversation up by just saying like Fugazi and Discord are why I'm why I am. Right. <laughs> and if it will toss Pete Seeger in there and Otis Redding. Sure. And Super Chunk merge records. Yeah. Those are like those that's like that's pretty much it. That's your DNA. And I Yeah, sonically, political like ethos wise, like for sure. And then of course like um my really strong family. Like we are super close because there wasn't a ton of people like us in central PA. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as time went on, they, we, we found a Filipino community. Um, my grandparents moved out uh, to central PA. So, like, I, I had a broader sense. But at that time, I had already experienced that sort of isolation. Mm-hmm. So looking at all of it now, I'm like, wow. Right. It's like it's because I grew up on this cultural island where it, it was so racially divided and I was so isolated that I found 
a thing like punk rock and that that ultimately shaped the trajectory of my life yeah yeah well i i think i mean to me what i think is obviously so engaging about you know not only your story but who you are as a person where it's like we we need when i say we it's like the independent music culture needs voices that aren't so um you know for lack of a better term homogenous it's like yeah i mean honestly it's like my experience as a you know suburban white kid who's you know straight edge and vegan is like yeah there are elements and shades of it that are unique but relatively speaking you can find me kind of anywhere so it's like for people such as yourself where it's just like yeah it's like there's different shit like there's different textures to it and i think that's what ultimately not only make for better conversation but make for better art when you are having you know this this proverbial melting pot because it needs to be like that yeah i i i'm really interested Interested in being American. My uh, family line. I'm like second and a half generation. Mm-hmm. My my dad comes from um, uh, kind of like a line of Japanese immigrants who immigrated to Hawaii and were working on sugar plantations. Okay. And um, and then uh, the United States made uh, Hawaii a territory and then a state. Mm-hmm. And then my uh, my Filipino side. My grandfather was naturalized through uh, through the U.S. Air Force. And and I come from. Um, my dad, my dad is also a retired Navy uh, naval commander, and like I come from uh, an immigrant family that served our country, and I'm really interested in democracy and in being American, and um, and how that affects people in their everyday life. So I'm I'm asking those questions because I'm trying to reconcile, you know, like my own identity because I was told that I wasn't American growing up. Sure. I I told that I I'm, I'm not a citizen when 9/11 happened, my high school thought that it was the Japanese and I'm the only Japanese kid with, with a Japanese name in 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 my high school. Mm-hmm. You know like and I had to get into like fist fights every day of like elementary school and like Every every year of my life, and and then people will tell you, or and people have told me that it's not so bad. Racism doesn't exist. That probably didn't happen to you, and it's taken away. So people can't take away what I'm singing about. They can't stop me from singing unless they kill me. Right. Like they can't stop me from putting out records and sharing where engaging with people until like if I have air in my lungs, this is what I'm going to do. You know, and that's what I mean. That the urgent urgency to express myself because I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm still trying to figure out what it is to be an American, what it is to be um, human, because I was told that I was less than those things. It, it, it reminds me of, of something I personally experienced where it's like when I, when I was first able to tour Japan, I had the ability to visit Hiroshima. And it was mm. it, it, it was one of those things where it was so like, I mean, for one, I was nervous going there. I I mean, I was, I think I was maybe 26, 27 at the time. So I I was old enough to obviously (laughs) know what's up, but I felt so, I felt so strange because it was like, I I, I asked our translator, I was like, you know, are, excuse my ignorance, but are Americans welcome there? That's a heavy thing, you know, be a part of. And he's like, yes, of course. Like this is, you know, it's, it's a park, it's beautiful. It's, you know, there, there are, you know, symbols of remembrance. And so like, but going there, it was one of those things where, like you're talking about, your identity as an American is is really, you know, is not only put into question, but you're you're having to focus on something that is so singularly horrific that we, you know, imparted, you know, due to warfare on another, a you know, another culture, and it, it it did it did make me feel, you know, less of an American because I felt so horrible for the whole situation, you know? Yeah, and, and so it it is interesting for you 
you know, wanting to fight for that identity because that's something that has been so, you know, like you were talking about, been tried to strip away from you for a long period of time. Yeah, and I mean... I mean, as a as an adult, be, doing doing this for for a living now for a few years, the notion from people that I'd be more successful if I were more white, if I were less political, if I were less outspoken, and just like a really nice and visible minority, that I would somehow find more success if I were, you know would make an effort to be cuter, or make an effort to be, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm not a cute white kid. Right. <laughs> I'm not. Um, I don't fit the mold, and so. I, I really, I really have to be comfortable with myself uh, because how I am is a problem for some people. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Has, has, has there been, uh, you know, sort of like business-like circumstances that have have put you to where you could get that sort of weird feedback? Whether it is like you're, you know, like you're joking that. You know, you need to. All right, let's like let's work on your image. Like, you know, have you ever been put in situations like that where it's like, oh, dude, this person has no idea where I'm coming from. Like, they're barking up the wrong tree, so to speak. Yeah, I've definitely had the impression from from some people that I could have opportunity A or B if I just like changed myself a little bit, or like my vision for you is this, and it looks nothing like the person that I am when I'm hearing their vision. You know, so. I don't know. I, I think we live in an interesting time because the cultural, the like, the cultural barriers are are a lot l- lower, if anything, non-existent within popular culture. It's cool to like anything, to be anything, and there's a lot of cultural mobility. We have an ever-growing class problem in the United States, which is a huge issue. Education is extremely, extremely expensive, and they're cutting so many really important programs, whether that's pre-K, kindergarten, mm-hmm. um, or the arts, or even phys ed on top of all of those things. Those are vital to the development of a young person, you know, to, and because it was vital to my development. And so I, I see us being pacified by our screens. And it's at once really beautiful because all the tools are democratized to make a record and market it to like, or, you know, to share it with friends, um, to become a photographer, to become kind of anything that required like a huge financial investment before. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the cost of living is uh, really straining us in other areas. Our minimum wage is so below what the cost of living is in America now. It's, it's really insane. So we have like a gigantic working poor class and, and an unwillingness to look at the problem. So I still view music as like a really powerful tool to engage with people um, on those issues, to introduce them and to maybe organize people to make a difference. Yeah. You know, I still go see my legislator. I still go to demonstrations, work on petitions, write letters to Congress, volunteer where I can. And I want to start telling people, I, I've been such a private person and out of um, like I haven't wanted to seem opportunistic with the things that I've been doing, but now I'm starting to see that I need to share a little bit more of that story so people can go out and recreate it. Like I did when I was a kid reading about Ian and Minor Threat and Fugazi or Bikini Kill and stuff like that, B- finding inspiration um, from other kids on how to go out and do something and make a change. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. That, that's been a really, like, a really interesting path because, honestly, I disregard um, what people limit me to on the basis of my race or my political beliefs. I'm not concerned because I'm, I'm just – the result isn't being successful and getting like a house in the suburbs or a house anywhere. It's not for financial gain that I'm doing this. It's just straight passion. It's like it's my purpose and I'm living it. And um, 
And I'm really comfortable with that, right. even though it might alarm people who don't live that way. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. It's it's a it's a foreign concept for a lot of people. So, like, yeah, you that might disarm them. Um, the last thing I want to hit on before I let you go is the um, in the way that I've seen you describe, uh, you know, recording and obviously the creation of music and kind of like what we were alluding to earlier, and you were in regards to you addressing different song subjects now recording to me in the way that i'm interpreting you to put it out there it's a it's a very deliberate and cathartic process for you um which those don't necessarily uh, define pleasure in my own head so is recording tough for you to be like this is a huge undertaking and i have to be very concerned about what i'm putting out there to the world records for some people are you know just kind of a a a, a time stamp Whereas I think for you, they're kind of, uh, you know, a, a more, <laughs> not only a representation of yourself, but existing more into the future. Um, so I, I got in a, in a long way, in a long winded yeah. way of saying, you know, is recording pleasurable for you? Recording is um, previously was the most difficult task because uh, I feel incomplete as an artist. I feel incomplete as a as a human like I and and. And within the context of recording, I think that incompleteness um, makes for compelling records because the record is just evidence of us existing. Like you said, it's a timestamp. I want to be as naked as possible when it comes to um, expressing and performing the songs on tape as I can be. Uh, so it's at once the most terrifying and difficult part of the music process for me. Um, but the most liberating and cathartic. And I, I will say that working on new material this summer, this is the most, absolutely most lighthearted I've ever been about recording. And I think it comes from like a really being, well, first of all, not, not playing like 150 shows and then making a record. That's really useful, like having this long layoff and my first summer off in, in years. And then pairing that with reconnecting with my family, doing things like, rock climbing and, and yoga throughout the week to really center myself, paying attention to what I eat, really practicing my craft. So I feel like I have the most air in my lungs that I've ever had to sing. I've, I feel like I have the best mental perspective and mental um, approach to, to the music. It's like it's taken a really holistic picture. So I think this record is, again, a pivotal one, not just in subject matter, but in how I approach recording. Like there is a, a renewed joyfulness about it and a renewed freeness. And I'm just, you know, making demos and doing pre-production right now. But it feels like it feels like I've never made a record before. Right. And I never thought I would like say something like that because that sounds that sounds dumb. I've made a lot of records. Right. But like this is the first one I feel like I'm making. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, f fancy that idea of like, wait a minute, you're existing in the real world and you're become, you know, becoming a person. Why, why would that do any wonders for a record? It's like these ba bands feel like such a, you know, a continual pressure to release more music and obviously like feed that machine. And it's like then a lot of the times their art is just caught up in this, this, you know, self-perpetuating, you know, conveyor belt as opposed to like what you're doing where it's like plugging into things that will give you inspiration. Yeah. And I think, I think I, I always approach every task with a sort of holistic picture. Like what are the steps I'm going to need to take to have a high level of wellness and offer something really healthy and productive. And I mean, sometimes it is, again, like being so broken as I have been, you know, going into the lot of Spute Split, 
I had just lost uh, my friend Nate Hen to a suicide bomber attack Mm -hmm. in Uganda. Mm -hmm. And I went into the studio devastated. So I I think like listening to that record is extremely... I I didn't sing well on that record or play guitar well on that record. I just played it as best as I could in the state that I was. And to me, that's one of the most powerful recordings that I've ever made. Mm -hmm. Like I... I don't have adjustments for that record. There's things where I, like I know it could have been better, but I wouldn't change a thing about that record. Whereas like every other record that I've made, you know, like critic I I've allowed myself to be critical about, but I know that in making that record I was so where I was. And and the listener doesn't even know this. No. So many people so many people, you know, download the record illegally or they buy the MP3s, they don't read the dedication in the liner notes, uh in the final and there's no press about it. Mm-hmm. I just made the record from that standpoint. They don't even know that that's what they're hearing. But that's what, you know. So I'm very open to where I am when I record and try to be patient and forgiving that I'm not perfect. I mean, in some cases, it's allowed to accept my hurt because, again, there was a community of activists, there's a community of people grieving at that point that I didn't allow myself to grieve except for when I was finally alone in the studio mm-hmm. and and everyone's kind of privy to that to where my heart was at that moment yeah. you know uh, that's a really important, I wouldn't even say footnote, that's a really important context for that recording. And ultimately, recorded output in general, you know, needs to come from some place. It doesn't need to be of hurt or despair. It can be like right. like you're coming at it right now, like a renewed vigor of like, oh, this is my first LP. Can't wait to dig into this. <laughs> yeah, it, it spans that spectrum. And I hope that at, that my records will reflect the, the spectrum of of experience. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I, I think that's an important, yeah, it's an important, uh, like you said, spectrum to, to have. It's not just this one note of that's all you are as a person. So, well, dude, I could not, uh, thank you enough for, for hanging out and doing this. I think this was, uh, this is very enjoyable for me and I hope it was enjoyable for you. Thank you for having me and allowing me to share. I really appreciate it. Yeah, dude, it's my pleasure. So there is Koji and all he is. So, uh, yeah, like I said, really intelligent guy. And I just loved having that conversation with him and seeing his unique cultural perspective, his unique racial perspective, um, because it's like independent music is always viewed through a very uh, narrow scope a lot of the time. And when artists of different cultural backgrounds and races contribute to the overall tapestry that is independent music, I love it. It just adds so many cool shades to what we have going on. And yeah, it's just great. So I celebrate him for who he is. And he writes amazing songs. Let's not forget that. The producer for the show is Tom Richfield. Visit propertyofzack.com. Visit 100wordspodcast.com. Yeah, I'm not even going to tease the guest next week. Why don't you just hop on to the website and sign up for our email list? Boom. There you go. That's a teaser. And it's my birthday next week. You, You can't be more excited than I am. I'll be turning 34 years old. Exciting, right? Not really. 34, such a useless age. Anyways, until next week, be safe, everybody. Everybody.